0: Hey, my friends, thank you so much for listening to the Because We Love Finding Meaning After Loss podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Haycock. I'm an international certified and accredited life coach, grief coach, certified grief educator, speaker, and author. And I have already interviewed some amazing people. So this season coming up, you're going to hear from some really inspiring individuals who are going to share their story of loss any type of loss grief and the healing modalities and the tools that they use now listen there's going to be episodes that just do not apply to you but maybe just maybe you have a friend or a loved one who it would so please share that with them and I wanted to create a space that was inclusive. So there's going to be individuals I'm sure on this episode that you don't believe the way they do. And quite frankly, I don't either, but there's those that you will connect with. Same with me. There's individuals who believe the way I do. And so I hope that you will find it inspiring that you'll have some tools that you can use that you can try it on and see if it fits. Again, I am so grateful that you are taking the time to listen to this podcast. I would greatly appreciate you subscribing, sharing and your feedback. So please rate the show. Now, let's get started with season two. Welcome to season two of the Because We Love Finding Meaning After Loss podcast. I really can't believe it's season two. Uh, I also can't believe from the very first episode that I did was sharing my story about compound and complex grief. So many different losses that I had experienced in less than two years. So I shared my story and a few of the tools that I used, and uh, it is at this point the most listened to, and I was trying to figure out why is that? And I think part of it is, is because when you have a podcast, people want to know about you. Where did you come from? Where, why did you start a podcast, what is your story? Is this person legit? Do they know what they're talking about? And I get this a lot when I'm either on other people's podcasts and, or I am on a stage, or I am just speaking to a group of people is that I say, I have the credentials, you know, I went to school, I put in the hours with my coaching business, but more importantly, I have lived experience. And I think there is not that everybody has to go through all the shit, but when you do people kind of go, oh, okay, well, I'm sure that they get me a bit, and everybody, in my opinion, humans, we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be loved, we want to be in community, and we don't want to feel like we're doing this life alone. And that is one of the main reasons why I birthed this podcast, is because, one, I wanted to interview individuals who have experienced the shite of life. But more importantly, what did they do? How did they process? What tools did they use? What tools are they using? So that those who are listening can go, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try what he or she did. And I'm going to try what they did and see if it works for me. Or as you're listening, going, Oh my God, I thought I was the only person who felt that way. And then realizing actually, do you know what? No, I'm not the only one. And somehow we find comfort in that. Not that we would wish any pain on anyone else, but we find comfort in knowing that, you know what? It isn't all, um, Uh, filters and fun on social media it isn't all oh life's all perfect and great and what you you know some people put out there and so I think that that is a really important piece and that was something that I you know my some of my core values at the very top are authenticity and vulnerability humor as well is one of them. So even in a podcast where it's, we're talking about some really dark stuff, you know, there are times when, you know, my guests are smiling at me and we're, and we actually are laughing because I believe, as David Kessler says, you can fully live and fully grieve at the same time the those two things can coexist and i've put on social media if you can learn and accept and understand this this is such an important part of healing that you can fully live and fully grieve at the same time the other thing i was thinking about just this morning is i can literally say i love my life. I love the life that I am creating, that I have created. I love the decisions that I've made over the last four years. And it has propelled me, maybe last three years, it has propelled me to a place where I am now that I love. Now, since the first episode of the Because We Love Finding Meaning After Loss podcast, it's not that everything's been going great and that there's not been any problems and that Lisa's life is just perfect. So for those of you who know, who follow me, you will know that March, 2023, I had my very first mammogram. Now I'm going to go back a bit because i was 52 was i 52 anyway i was 52 and yes and i had my first mammogram well i kept trying because here in the uk you're supposed to have your mammogram at 50 every year and because i had been moving then they were like, Oh, there's no truck in your neighborhood. No lie. This is what they said. No truck in your neighborhood. I was like a truck because they have these mobile units. And I was like, well, where do I go? And they're like, Oh, it's okay. You know, many women get their mammograms, you know, later. And I was like, nah, 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 I need, I I want to have this done. This is routine and it's a part of the NHS and it's, you know, I'm over 50 now. And so I ended up moving again, uh, in with my partner and, um, I was, I told him, I said, I need to call and the doctor and just find out. And they were like, there's no truck in your neighborhood. I'm like, I know there never is no matter where I am in the country. There's never a truck in my neighborhood. And I said, can I go somewhere else? You know, I'm, uh, I'm American. I know I live in the UK, but man, I will drive to where I need to go. It's not a big deal. And they were like, well, there's an, there's one, but it's next year. And I'm like, well, I don't want to wait till I'm 53. And the lady said, oh, don't worry. You know, many women have their uh, mammograms, their first mammograms at 53. And I was like, yes, but I." there was just something in me that was like, no, I want to have it done sooner. So I hang up and I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I guess I need to wait a year. And then about, I don't know, two months later, I get a letter in the mail that says, you know, there's a mammogram truck in your neighborhood, kind of in your neighborhood, 30 minutes away. Here's your appointment date. Please let us know if you can make it. I'm like, I'll absolutely go. So I did. And it was fine. I mean, I'm sorry. I know I was just like, let's just do this thing. I did it. For, for me, it was painless. I just went and got it done. And then I don't know, three weeks later, I got a letter and I'm like, oh, okay. But there was something and you would normally get a letter that just says everything's fine, which I've always gotten those kind of letters for any blood work or any kind of health thing any women's health thing was always it's fine there was a little sinking feeling before I opened the envelope and I was like I hope this is okay and my partner Darren's like yeah it'll be fine and I'm like okay and I open it up and it says you need to come back for some more screening at Glenfield Hospital in the breast care center and I was like oh my God. And he's like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And I thought, "Mm, no, no, it's not going to be fine. I knew I just knew Uh, one thing I have learned over the years. And even back when I was a child, I really had like, I could see things almost like a movie, if that makes sense. Um, For some of you, you'll get it. And some of you will be like, what the hell is she talking about? But I could see things almost like a movie. But of course, you're young and you just are like, nah, nah, nah. I just, I don't even know what that is. And I never tapped into it until, to be honest, until I left religion many years ago, I started tapping into my intuition. I started tapping into my knowing. And my girls would be like, My God, mom, you're psychic. And people will be like, How the hell did you know? And I have always known somehow that I was going to have breast cancer. And I never told anyone no, because people think I'm friggin' nuts. But I did, even the girls were like, I remember you saying, if you did, that you would have a mastectomy and that you would get tattoos. I remember years ago you were saying that. And I'm like, yep, I had a plan because I really felt like this was going to be the answer. So I go and I have my ultrasound and she's like telling me what she sees and that it could be precancerous cells or it could be cancerous cells or a mixture of both, but there's a huge amount in your left breast. I said, okay. So at that point, of course you're shaking. It's not nice to hear this. And they're like, we need to do two biopsies because of the size of the, of what we're seeing. And so we go out and we go into this room And, um, this nurse comes in and explains the biopsy explains pretty much what they think it is. But of course we won't know for sure. And I have to tell you, she was wonderful. And I mean, I didn't shed a tear. I just was like, right. Okay. What is it? What do we need to do? And she explained the biopsies and she also explained that, it, because of the amount of it that I'm going to have to have a mastectomy on that side. And I was like, right. And the other side, I want that gone too. Like I, you know, and and I said, do we, do you think I'm going to have to have chemo and radiation? And she said, probably not, but let's just see what I can't say for a hundred percent sure, but I doubt it. Um, but we'll see. And so I had the biopsies. Uh, it was a room full of a lot of nurses and well, I don't even know technicians. And you know, I I just did what I had to do, man. like I this is what I do. And uh, those two women were at my head, and we were talking, and I was making them laugh and like we were ha- I just chatting. I'm like, no. I wanted to say and share this story because life can still throw you dumpster fire piles of shite. But what I can say is the tools that I have used through my grieving process, through all of my losses, I pulled them out and these are the tools I used to continue To be positive, one, because I believed wholeheartedly that it was going to be a good result, if that makes sense. Of course, breast cancer is not a good result. You want it to all be negative, but I knew, I knew in my soul that I was going to be okay. So I have the biopsy and the six weeks wait. I think it was about six weeks. It was hideous, like, or four weeks. It was not nice. But again, Anytime anything crept up, I was like, nope. And I would get busy and I would just do stuff. Um, I would talk things through with Darren or my girls or like, I would just, but I wouldn't I wouldn't dwell. And when I felt anxious, I knew what to do. I did the breath work. I did the meditation. I got out into nature. I went out and I watched something funny. I, Darren makes me laugh all the time. So it was like, I'm not changing any of this, man. This is the stuff that kept me going during the darkest times of my life. And now I'm going to use these same tools and see what works. And I highly recommend you do the same. So I got the results and there was, I had to go in and he told us that yes, the majority of it is precancerous cells. And there is a bit of cancer cells, a very small amount, but enough. And of course I have to have a mastectomy. My first question was, okay. And can I have the other one removed as well? And they were like, well, it is your, uh, you know, it's, it's your choice and, and I was like, yep, that's what I want. And then the nurse was like, as we were walking out, well, don't make any rash decisions. Cause they were like, well, you can have um, an implant or, you know, we can take some out of fat out of your stomach or your back. And I was like, well, can you take some fat out of my stomach without putting it back in? I mean, <laughs> can we have some liposuction while I'm out, please? Thank you. Tummy tuck. And they we're like, well, no, we can't do that. I'm like, God damn it. So, um, She said, don't, you know, don't make any rash decisions. And I just nodded. And Darren's just like, yep, just not like you ain't going to change Lisa's mind. This she's one determined lady. So anyway, we go out and I'm like, can you believe what she said? I'm sure she just thinks like, and he's like, I think it's because they don't see many women like you. Like, they're just like, no, just calm down. Don't don't make any rash decisions. Like I'm not having an implant because for me personally now, again, I just want to preface this every female is different like everybody has their own view for me I did not want an implant I did not want something foreign in my body that I'd have to go back in in 10 years and have it fixed or removed and because they said you have to have it replaced I'm like nah, I'm, I'm done and I was fine with that and I then had to go through a psychological evaluation to make sure that I was of sound mind in order to have the other one removed and I kept joking saying this is the test of all tests like I am going to pass this test without any studying like I'm going to ace this mofo right like I'm going to do that because <laughs> I always had to study for tests this one I didn't have to I knew what I knew what I knew and what I knew also was my children have lost so many loved ones in their life and they're not feckin' losing their mother because they want, you know, I've got a ticking time bomb possibly on the other side. Absolutely not. So I passed that with flying colors. I had my first mastectomy. They had to do it in in two. So I think I had my psychological evaluation like. 10 days after my surgery. And she was like, Oh my God, you just had it. And I'm like, yep, yep. I want the other one removed now too. Thank you very much. Um, so I went in and I had my surgery, my first surgery, and it was a day surgery. I left that same day. My girls and Darren were there they came and saw me after my surgery. And then they were going to go out and have dinner. And they thought they were going to be going back home to their homes. And I was like, "Okay, hey, you can come get me. And I was done. And I went home. And then uh, three months to the day, I had my second surgery. They on the first surgery, because there was cancer, they did obviously the lymph nodes and the lymph nodes were clear. And I knew that would be. So I, when I went back for my first Meeting um, appointment, and he said, you, "You know, lymph nodes are clear, and this is how much cancer was there, and all the, the blah, 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 all that." You don't, and I said, "Do I need to do anything else?" He's like, "Nope." I said, "Okay, next one," and then three months later, I had the other one removed. So I'm living flat and free, and feeling extremely powerful. And what I can also say is, they told me had it been six months down the road, it would have been a very different result. And I'm so glad that I was pushing, but also I truly believe that someone was looking out for me because they told me it was going to be another year before I had a mammogram before there was a truck in my neighborhood. I don't think they use the word truck here in the UK, but you know, that's what I, that's how I put it. So I am so incredibly grateful for science. I'm so incredibly grateful for surgeons. I'm so incredibly grateful for whoever I believe my parents were looking out for me. And what I can also tell you is for me as a patient versus being a carer, or taking care of those who have lost loved ones. It is far easier for, as my opinion, for me, than my experience, I'm not speaking for anybody else. It's easier being a patient than it is being a carer. Because I knew I was going to be okay. And I could deal with whatever pain I could deal with any of that. As long as. I knew I was going to be okay. And when I say, so that's my breast cancer discussion. Um, so a lot has happened again in this last year. And I wanted to kick off season two by sharing a bit of my story, but also one of the other things I wanted to do is obviously a plug for you women, get your mammogram. And do any follow-ups, even if it's something you're afraid to hear, you just go, you do it. It will save your life. Now, when I talk about how I love my life, I mean, some people probably on the outskirts are like, yeah, but you like lost 12 loved ones, like including your niece and your parents and your son-in-law and like... You had breast cancer and you went through a divorce and you're like, what the hell are you on about lady? Or people go, oh, you're so brave and courageous or, you know, whatever. And I, not when I don't mean whatever, I mean, I, yeah, I am. I step into that power. But what I mean by that is I do these things or I have experienced these things And I have the resilience of it because one, I believe I'm Larry and Sally Messick's daughter. Like I, it was modeled for me, this strength and this resilience. And while back in the day, you know, you didn't talk about your, you didn't talk about your feelings, you know, you didn't, you didn't pay my dad. I ain't paying anyone to tell, you know tell my, my shit you know? <laughs> uh, whereas I'm very pro therapy and coaching and all that obviously of course um, but I say all of this because I truly can say I love my life I was in an unhappy marriage uh, I am sure that my ex has no problem saying that because he was too. We grew apart and we were really very unhappy and we were unhappy for many, many years. And I just kept saying and just like, okay, well, you know, and I always would say like, well, there's no affairs. Nobody's having an affair. And like, there's, you know there's no abuse, nobody's beating, you know, I'm not getting beat, so like it's all okay. Like, I I would just be like, you know what, it's fine. I, you know, it's not fine. I mean, I was miserable, but um, because I, I wasn't being cheated on, and because I wasn't being verbally or physically abused, like that was my level somehow of acceptance. And you know, he's a good man, so that's okay. Like, but then after all these people passed away, I was like, you know what? No, life is short. And while he's a good man and there's no abuse or affairs, I'm still freaking unhappy. And life is too short to be goddamn miserable. So I sat him down and said, right, you're unhappy. I know it. We've had these discussions. I'm unhappy and I'm done being unhappy. I have to go, I have to go to a place that I live alone for once in my entire life. No lie. Cause I went from my parents' house into my then husband's house and I've never lived alone. I, I know who I am at the core, but I'm lost. I'm confused. I'm unhappy. I need clarity and I cannot do it in this environment. I've got to go. And he's like, yep. Okay. Like, right, here we go. And I mean, he literally helped me move some of my stuff. Like we're amicable. We just knew that it had run its course. And some people I've even seen on Facebook and I've had to, you know, get rid of these people because it's so judgy. That it's like, well, it takes a lot to have a marriage and you just stick with it. And you, you know, and basically if you get divorced, you're failing. But if you get divorced that, you know, somehow you didn't put the effort in and you just easily walked away and it's like bullshit. Let me tell you right now, you can get a divorce. It's okay. Okay. You can change careers at 50 or 60 or whatever. It's okay. It is your life and nobody gets to tell you the direction that you get to go. And they can sit on their high horse and judge you, but they have no idea. So you let them go. Do not let that penetrate because that is bullshit. I know this episode is going to be very different from the other episodes, guys, but listen, I made that decision and I believe that my ex-husband would not have made that decision. And why? Because he is a good guy. Like, I think he was just like, oh, well, you know, I remember one time I said, so what do you think about this marriage here? Like he goes, well, it is what it is. And I go, well, that's great. Like, that's super inspiring. Bullshit. Nope. Not doing it. And I moved into an apartment with my dog and I decorated how I wanted and I healed so deeply and I breathed in so freely. I was free and it wasn't again because there was some sort of abuse, but I was free. I was I was free to breathe. I could do what I wanted. I could say what I want. I could go anywhere I wanted. And again, he's not controlling, but I didn't have to think about anybody, but me and my girls, because as a mom, that's what you always do. Um, and I began to heal I was already in therapy. And I remember saying to my counselor, because she asked me even way before I left my husband or we split up. She said, close your eyes. What do you want for your life? And I said, where do you see? I'm in a flat in Chester by myself healing. I'm going to go do what I want to do. I'm going to create a life that is, what I want. I'm no longer worrying about being the perfect wife and the good little Christian wife. And again, that was back in the day. I, I know I meant for more than this. And I don't know what this is, but I know I have something bigger, something better, and something more passion filled and purpose filled life and I am going to go find it. And so I sacrificed things, but I was like, nope, I have to. It wasn't even a, oh, I really hope that. No, I knew again, deep down inside, this is what I need to do. This is absolutely where I'm going. And I'm doing it with the help of my loved ones, my best friend who lives in the States. I've talked about her numerous times, um, on podcasts, but with m- my best friend, Krista, my daughters, which I didn't, you know, lay on them, obviously any of this, um, and my therapist, and then I hired a life coach. And then I just started going down the road of personal development, which I love I'm addicted to anyway. So I said to my therapist a year, because I saw her for about a year and a half, but the year before early on in our sessions, and she goes, my God, Lisa, look, you said, this is what you wanted to do and look where you are. And I said, this is where I'm at. I'm good. Thank you very much for all of your help. And then I was done with counseling. And that's when then I hired a life coach. So it's like, now what, where do I need to go? Where do I want to go? And I need someone to help me. I couldn't do that on my own. I needed to find somebody who would challenge me and keep me accountable and give me different ideas and help unlock the things that were kind of stuck. And I, and I was all confused and I was up in my own head and that's what she did And then I was like, my God, I want to do this. I want to be that coach because as I said, at the very beginning is that not only do I now have the education and the hours and seeing clients. And I have that experience. I have the lived experience. I did it. And now I show others how to do it. And it isn't that I tell them to do exactly what I did. No, it's finding out what makes them tick. What are they passionate about? And then we start to unlock all of those things. And it is fecking amazing. And so I wanted to start this season two with my story of breast cancer and recovery and how I'm, you know, living flat and free, but also some of the steps and things that I did when I can say, I love my life because I did those things. Was it easy? Absolutely not even close. There were times I didn't even get out of bed, right? I worked from home. Then COVID hit. And now, listen, we all have a collective grief when it comes to COVID, whether we have acknowledged it or not, whether we want to talk about it or not, whether we think it's a hoax, which it's not or not. (laughs) Um, But either way, we were in lockdown. And was that easy? Absolutely not. But the other thing is I, my apartment, my flat, as they call it here in the UK was lovely. It was, it just was me all over. It was in a place in Chester. I loved called Hool. I absolutely loved it. And I love Chester, England. It is my home. And yet I lived across the street from a funeral home and I'm not even joking. So in this country, for those of you who don't live in the UK, they literally funeral homes are in communities They like, look like a house in like on the street with all the rest of the other houses, except they have a sign. And I first saw it and I thought, oh my God, I can't live here. There's a funeral home across the street. I've had enough deaths. This is horrible joke. But then when I went into the flat, I breathed and I knew, I knew that was the knowing I am home. This is my healing. This is where I belong. Then I would say to my therapist, oh my God, I'm living across from an actual funeral home. I see hearses and the cars that take the family all the time like I see these coffins being wheeled out and like I am being triggered and all the time so we she was had the best advice for Lisa because she knew I was a very action oriented person and she's like let's name them like and so I said Gladys Gladys carries you know the 101 year old because obviously in my head that's just that has to be the way it is they've lived a long fulfilled life um and then george he carries the family so they're doing the work and i know it sounds crazy but it was like i i made it is um tangible like they're doing their job and this is their job instead of just being like horrified that i'm seeing coffins and and it worked and anytime I would be and, but sometimes I'm like nope shut the curtains or I'm going for a walk and they're doing I'm like nope and I'd turn the corner and go down another road like sometimes it's okay to not and I was like not today not today I'm not in the mood today I can't it wasn't all the time but it was several times a week and then I, mean, I was probably a month in. I did not want to ask Alexa, my daughter, this question, but I did. I knew it. I had a knowing. And I said, Alexa, is this the funeral home they used for Jack, my 24-year-old son-in-law? And she said, yes, I think it is. And I said, Jack is not funny, dude. Like, what the hell? So the, the, the hearse and the family car is the family car that my daughter and, and his family sat in it, that we followed. And, and that's the hearse that carried my son-in-law. This is hideous. What do I do? Uh, counselor, I need another session. Oh my God. It was even more horrifying for me. It was so difficult, but I worked through it and she helped me and I did not do it alone. I did not do it alone. So I share that because I don't want people to think, Oh, well, it's just easy. You know, you just do this. And it's like no, these are such painful times. Like sometimes it was like, man, I treated myself to a toothbrush today. Like, you know, sometimes it was all I could do was, um, watch Netflix and eat popcorn and chocolate. Like sometimes I'd go to Zumba's, but sometimes I couldn't do any of these things. Like it's, and that was okay. It was a real time of healing. And it wasn't until I really felt Like it was, I was okay to then start looking that maybe there's men out in the world, Um, but I had to get right with myself. I had to take care of myself. Lisa had to heal and figure out what the hell I wanted in life. And I certainly don't need a man. And I still believe that. But if I had a companion and somebody that complimented my life, And I had a best friend like great and I found him and that's probably another story. But Darren shares his story in season one. I highly recommend you listen to that because he talks about his story of loss and grief and pain and divorce and parental alienation and suicide attempts, uh, attempt and um, recovery and healing and It's a painful yet beautiful story. And this is my person. I have met the person that is my person. And so when I say I love my life, it isn't just because I've got a man in my life. No, I love my life because I love the decisions that I made for me, that I no longer worried about what people thought if people, you know, in my fan, some family members or friends who are steeped in religion against divorce or whatever, like I, they don't live my life. This is about me. And I've never been somebody who just thinks, what does Lisa need? What does Lisa want? And when I stopped worrying about what other people thought, or when I stopped worrying about other people just in general and take, taking care of everyone else and started taking care of myself I not only modeled that for my daughters and said don't put up with any shit if you don't like your career get rid of it go do something else it's just a job like you do not have to be Fecking miserable in your job, in your relationships, in your friendships. Set people aside who are draining vampires. And I'm not talking about my ex. So everybody just you know, calm down. I am, but I am talking, but we were unhappy, man. Like, and it was energy draining because you're unhappy. So don't, life is short, life is fragile, and you are not meant to be miserable. Does it mean that you're going to be happy forever all the time? Redefine happy. You have to redefine happy. One of my taglines is unhappy, question mark. It does not mean that you have to be toxic positivity all the time and like, blah, blah, blah. everything's great. But it also doesn't mean that you have to be miserable. Now, what do I mean by unhappy? You're not content. You're not fulfilled in whatever area. We have many areas of our life and you're not fulfilled. You don't feel content. Go after that like your life depends on it, people, because it does. Now, this is starting to turn out to be more... Uh, you know go after an action-oriented podcast I thought you know what I'm not writing anything man I'm just getting my microphone and I'm going and whatever happens and whatever comes out of my mouth comes out of my mouth because someone needs to hear it so I hope it inspires you you are not meant to be miserable does that mean you're going to be happy all the time like we talked about no and that but joy go find it find the joy in your day, go find your contentment. And sometimes, yes, that means you have to leave the relationship you're in. Sometimes it means you have to leave the job you're in. I'm not saying go do all those things. Don't say, well, Lisa told me I needed to do that. I never tell clients. I never tell clients. And I never tell those who are in the groups that I lead. I never say in the You know, authentic woman group that I, the coaching group that I have, like go leave your spouse or your partner or your girlfriend or your don't, you know, (laughs) drop kick all your friends and leave your job. I never tell people what to do. That is their life and they need to make that decision. But what I am saying is you have a decision to make, it is a choice. Taxes and death are not, but. You have more control over your life than you probably even think. And so for me, when I coach, this is the kind of stuff. It's like I'm gonna cheer you on. I am we are gonna stop and we are gonna friggin celebrate these changes. These life changes. You're feeling stuck and you need clarity and you don't feel. You feel confused and you're freaking unhappy, then let's figure out what makes you tick. What makes you tick? What fills you up and what makes you feel passionate and have purpose and like go after it? So, when I say I love my life, this is what I mean. So, I share my story very openly in all aspects of my story, but I hope I do it appropriately. I don't wanna be that person on social media who's just always whining and complaining about every possible thing in their life. And like, I wanna share appropriately, but I also don't wanna be the person who's like, everything's perfect and there's never any problems. Like, let's just be balanced, shall we? I wanna be vulnerable, but I don't wanna be a friggin' downer all the time either. And I can tell you, I'm not a downer. And why? Because I'm not down all the time. No way. And why? Because a hard ass work and a total shift. I don't know if any of you who ever look at your, if you're on Facebook and you look at your memories and you're like, oh my God, that is embarrassing, that's me. Like sometimes I'm like, Oh Jesus, I'm complaining again about not sleeping or I have a headache or wah, 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 wah. And I'm like, Oh my God, like what? I'm sick of seeing myself on that. It wasn't a lot, but it was just enough. <laughs> it's like, no longer am I going to be that person. And if someone go in, if, if like life is the dumpster fire, you know, you're diagnosed with breast cancer and people are like, I'm like, yeah, shit. But like, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'll be fine. Like, I'm going to get through this. Or somebody says that they're diagnosed with cancer and it's my friend fucking devastated for them, but we're going to get through this. Let's, we're going to, you know, I just am holding that space for them or they've lost their pet or we just need to hold space for people and be kind to people. But on the same token, when I say authenticity and vulnerability are my jam, that's why this podcast is so important to me is because the vulnerability, the authenticity, holding space and hopefully offering you guys some tools not just for me but from prof- other professionals and the majority of my guests are professionals um in their field um but not necessarily some are just like amazing humans and i'm like you have got to get on my show and share your story well they're all amazing humans Ah, <sighs> so that's me talking a lot on the first episode. Uh I hope, you know, so many people say, like, oh, you know, you're inspiring me. You inspire me. And and I I love that. I love that. Not to be boastful or arrogant, but be confident. There's a difference between arrogance and confidence, my friends and being confident in knowing that I'm a freaking good coach, but also that I can inspire people to live a life where they can fully grieve and fully live or fully like just go after what they want. Tap into that knowing. And if someone says no, N-O, but you have the K-N-O-W, so you know don't listen to him. Do not listen to them. So my friends, this is season two of the, because we love finding meaning after loss podcast. And I'm so grateful that you take the time to listen that uh, I hope that you share one thing that I never did really in season one, and I'm going to start doing it in season two is to say, follow Share an episode that you feel could help and benefit a friend. It is free. Like there's no charge to this. This is, this is my gift to those who need it. What I wish I had. And I'm telling you, I still have because I'm learning so much from my guests and I hope that you find it beneficial. So please follow please share and please rate the podcast. I'm always looking to learn, but I also understand that when you have good ratings, it reaches more people. And that is my goal is to help as many people as I can in this life that I have. And I'm so grateful for you all. Let's get on with season two.